Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. This place is no place for civilised man. And good morning. This is Annie for Showreel, a 3CR's look at the Australian film industry. And today we've got a wonderful person in the studio, and it's live, Katrina Fleming. G'day, Katrina. How are you? I'm very good. Thanks for having me back again. Yeah, that's right. We spoke to Katrina. She's the producer of a wonderful film called Canopy that came out in 2012. I really like that film. And uh, I looked into more about you, Katrina. You've been a creative producer. You're, uh, an, you've been an actress. You're a writer. You're a director. You're a casting director. You're a production designer and a producer. Yeah, I'm what they call a slushy. <laughs> 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 Everything goes. But the reason for why we've got you in today is because you were re- a recipient of one of the professional attachment schemes that came out of Film Victoria. That's correct, isn't it? That's right. Um, it's a self-brokered program, so it meant that I had to do all the work and then approach Film Victoria and apply for the program. So they have a couple of different streams of doing professional development programs like this. Uh, some they offer, so they'll... Uh, like with Film Nation, for instance, they'll have an opportunity to put someone into Film Nation in LA for six months and it's already organised and everyone can apply and one person, one or two people might get that. The other option is the one that I did, which was self-brokered, where I found out, uh, worked out what I wanted to do, found the the organisation, contacted them, um, worked out all of the work first and then went to Film Victoria and said, I'm putting in an application for a self-brokered professional development opportunity for six months. Um, and so they very, very generously gave me that. Oh, okay. So, so it's money, right? They give, give you some, some support money. It's $35,000. I think it can range between thirty and $35,000. Went up to thirty five because our dollar tanked totally. Um, that doesn't cover, cover all your costs for six months living in LA. In fact, that was half. So I had to contribute the other half as well. Um, but it certainly helps get me there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, so tell me about uh, what you did. What, tell me about the self-brokering. What did you, who did you target? Well, it was funny because at the end of um, our incredible festival run with Canopy, I kind of thought, what's next for a producer? And like the director gets all of the limelight and gets to be the superstar travelling all of the festivals. And the producer who created the project gets forgotten. Generally, that's the plight of any film producer. Um, but I wanted to find, I wanted to leverage the whole canopy success, creative and art house festival success, it is something really more tangible. And so 
I just did some navel gazing for a while and thought, what do I really, really want to do? And I said, well, I really want to make creative content that's family friendly, that's fun. I want to make content that everyone wants to watch every Christmas. Your Notting Hills, your Love Actually, E.T., Ghostbusters, you know, they're the films that I want, really want to make for the rest of my life and contribute to the world to make everyone feel a bit happier and, um, you know, bring a little spark and sunshine into people's homes after a hard week's work. And I had to uh, work out how I did that. Each of those, each of those uh, projects aren't, weren't just big and didn't, weren't just heartwarming. They were also not politically destitute, I'll have to say. They've, <laughs> they've actually got quite good values. Uh, yes, they do. Um, I have a comedy background and so I find the best way to make comment and to really affect change is to say something wrapped up in a great big laugh. Um, And so certainly that's uh, where I'm coming from. But I wanted to have a tangible outcome at the end and I realised that I really want to make bigger films and to go from a small art house creative project and then try and make, you know, 20 to $100 million projects there's a chasm in the middle and there's, it's really difficult for a producer to find pathways to learn how that works. And so I called up uh, my manager in LA and my lawyer in LA and basically said, who are the best people to work for in LA? And they all said Dan how do you, how, did, how did you get a lawyer and a manager in LA? Just as a matter of interest. <laughs> well, they were some of the perks of having a successful film at TIFF, uh, Toronto Film Festival in 2013 and that whole program. They came courting uh, Aaron Wilson, the writer-director of Canopy and myself. And yeah. so we so kept up... So the building block Yeah, approach. that was yeah. Yeah, one okay. of the benefits of having a successful film in a film festival circuit for that year. It was a great film too. That's, Thank you. Yeah, I, I really did. I, I actually cried and I didn't even <laughs> watch it on a big screen. Well, um, the big screen experience is certainly how it was designed to be watched. Um, and if it affects you on a small screen, I'm just absolutely delighted to mm. hear that. Yeah. Um, but to go back to Lynn Pictures, I had heard from several sources that Dan Lynn was a very reputable person, had good family values, and that aligns with myself. I knew I was going to be a lamb to slaughter going to LA in a lot of other roles and companies. And so I applied, and as it turned out, Lynn Pictures make the Lego movies, the whole franchise, and they have a Warner Brothers studio deal. But probably the most influential part for me was a fellow Australian who had already done the six-month internship I had done, but with Screen Australia, their version, Zhao Chen. He's a producer from Sydney. He was Dan Lin's assistant. And so it really comes down to who you know. Mm, That's right. That's right. And so uh, you got your foot in the door and so you were working on the Lego movies, is it? Uh, yes, amongst everything else I was doing. <laughs> so <laughs> was... T- tell, us, tell us about the experience. Tell us. Um, I actually I wrote a diary. And so Good because I wanted to note just uh, all the crazy things that I did because I didn't want to forget anything because things happen very fast. And it's a 10-hour day in LA. Like everyone works from 9 to 7 p.m. That is the actual day in the office. Um, and you don't want to be a clock watcher, so you're leaving at 7.30, 8, and then going to an industry function at night and then trying to watch the latest Netflix thing at night so that you can talk about it first thing in the morning. Like it's it's an 
a lifestyle. Mm. I really it's had no idea. Yeah, I had no idea what was going on in the world for a whole six months, but I got to know a lot about what was happening. Which in is LA. kind of um, pretty interesting, considering that what's being made influences the world. The people who are making it have absolutely no idea about what's going on in the world. Well, I probably couldn't support going that far. Um, but it did feel like that at times. Hmm. Um, well, it's a bit like a film set. Film sets are like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, go on. Anyway. Um, all right. So this is a typical day. This was uh, just a Thursday in July. And on that day, I got to rewrite coverage for a film called Mountain Man, brainstorm TV series ideas for the showrunner Matt Miller, who created Chuck and Forever. Um, with the TV manager and the assistant. I also went through a whole list of podcasts um, to look at possible leads for a TV series. I studied up on log lines and synopsis for the type that they want. It's very specific in developments, different to normal coverage and synopsis. Um, and I had to cover a TV sci-fi pilot called Cobalt, read my first $35 million budget for a um, very famous yep. writer and film, which I can't tell you about because it hasn't been made yet. Or they'll shoot you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I got to go through the Lego Movie Finance Report from Warner Brothers. Um, and so that was just one day. Oh, so, isn't that fantastic? I used to run a business and looking at the till, I know this is uh, going from the sublime to the ridiculous, but looking at the till each day was such an informative method of understanding what happened in the day. Uh, that would have been really interesting to go through the Lego uh, finance, uh, financial statements. Yes, it was quite an eye-opener because, well... They have a whole proper industry in LA and I was working within the arm that feeds Warner Brothers. So Lynn Pictures, Dan Lynn's company, Lynn Pictures, makes the Lego movies, they have a first look deal. A first look deal basically means that Warner Brothers pay them to run their business. So I can't tell you, I'm not allowed to tell you the exact figure, but the general figures for these companies is widely known between $1 and $5 million. Every year they'll get paid from their studio just to run their business um, and come up with ideas, the deal being that they pitch back to that studio first. So hence the name First Look Deal. That means they don't have to worry about paying the bills or having a second job or like everyone, in, every filmmaker in Melbourne has to try and work out how do I make money to have a mortgage and send my kids to school and have a life um, and also pay other people to help me with development. So it's really a crazy, well, an awesome system for them. Um, which we don't have in Australia. Well, we don't have the uh, level of... There's not enough people. Well, we don't have the population to feed it. We don't have the studio uh, industry system. Um, but the amazing thing to me is that they don't have to deliver a film. And also, if they do deliver a film to the studio, they get paid again. Well, it's kind of interesting because if you uh, you can see how that would work because, I mean, if it was in a certain millions, some of these blockbuster movies, the budgets that they've got, you know, I look at how much they say they round it off, you know, it would be, you know, $150 million to make yeah. a particular film and then they'll make $350 million back you know, with worldwide sales and da-da-da-da. So for, they're actually paying a very small amount of money to a business to create a very large amount of money, ultimately. Yes, but they don't have a deal with just one company. They'll have no. a deal with like 20 people. And, and I went through the whole list of all of the 
people who are making films and um, they've all got studio deals. Like they're not worried about paying their bills and writing no. lots of different That's stories. Right. So one of the great outcomes that I had from the whole experience was um, in in Australia, typically you will make a film because you've met a writer-director and the two of you want to make something and the director will say, this is my idea, this is what I want to do. And so you'll go about making that yeah, film. Yeah, and you invest five years of your life or something. Yes, well, in our case, it was eight years. Well, <laughs> whatever. And you work together as a producer-director team and certainly that's exactly what Aaron and I did. In order to become a team, we became a producer-director team in commercials, making corporate content, in going short films and then making feature film together um, and that's how we do it but you are heavily invested in one person and one project which is fine and beautiful that's how it works in Australia um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you've made the best film uh, available to you because by comparison in the States um, when I was working at Lynn Pictures, they had 30 films on their slate that they were developing all at the same time. Now, they might only make one film every two years, but if they're developing 30 stories with the top talent now, in Hollywood, yeah, so did the, the cream rises. Yes, yeah, well, that makes complete sense. And with those 30 projects, are those individual projects similar to what would be going on in Australia? You know, like a team attached? Uh, no, it works – well, it's, it's different. Yeah, um, tell me. Do you... Basically, I always thought that, you know, the writers and directors walk into a producer and go, hey, I've got this great idea. That's right. Um, and they go, oh, what a great script. Here's $200 million. Go make it. You yeah, know, yeah, that's what I was imagining too. That's yeah. why it's not like that. No, not at all. And I'm not sure whether it's about ego uh, or it, if it's about owning the intellectual property from the start, I'm not sure. But basically how it works in the studio system with all of the companies that have first look deals is they will come up. The producers are very creative. The staff, and that's why you call it creative producer. I was going to ask you that. That's what that's about, isn't it? Yeah. I've always called myself creative producer separate to this experience because I usually am creating the script and all of the work that I do um, that I produce in theatre and film. Okay, and, and so and this is that, this is why you were perfect for this. Well, I just took attachment. took to uh, script development and being a uh, creative executive like Duck to Water, because all they do all day is create story, work on concepts, developing things, and it's all within the world that you know. Like one that just got announced was Death Note, so I got to uh, read through the script, come up with notes go to meetings, work on that, um, and now it's going to be made as a Netflix uh, film, which is very exciting <laughs> with Willem Dafoe and a whole bunch of people. But it was a project that is a known IP, uh, you know, and everything is IP, but it's a fresh script. So it was really interesting to see how that works. What's IP? In, oh, it's a intellectual property, which basically just means ching-ching, yeah. you know, like they want right. to know. No, they want to. It's broader than that. They will call like uh, anything that has a pre-existing audience that already exists in the world. They will just casually called IP. So the Lego movies are an IP product because kids around the world all have Lego. The product is already known. The the 
so they don't have to sell a new concept. Whereas if I came up with something brand new, say about, you know, fairies living in the forests in Australia, that has no IP value at all. So it, it's intellectual property, but it's it has called, a, It's branded, effectively. It's about branding and it's about... Money. Understanding, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. about audience and money and how much they have to sell the idea fresh. Um, so they do want um, it's it's business. Yeah, know. no, it's all about business. Yeah. Um, just to remind listeners that you're on three CR and this is Showreel, and uh, I'm talking to Katrina Fleming who was a professional attachment with one of the biggest company film companies in LA, in fact. Uh, and uh, you, what you're talking about is uh, a real eye-opener for people to understand something, uh, how something comes from a small thing but now then has budgets of, uh, you know, mind-blowing amounts of money, <laughs> I'll have to say. So uh, tell me a bit more about how, what this has meant for you in, within your career. Well, it has actually changed how I uh, go about developing projects. So now I have 11 films on my slate that I'm working with different writers and different directors and teams to develop. And basically, um, I love all those pro- all the projects. Um, I don't think I'm going to make 11 films. I'm not delusional. What I think is going <laughs> to happen <laughs> is, you know, when you're in a meeting um, – I'm just well equipped now to have meetings with people and they say, well, what have you got in this area? And I go, well, here it is, fully developed, you know. Um, And what have you got that has, you know, a young girl and a female lead? And I'm like, well, I've got this one. Um, And so I'm better equipped now with very good quality work. But probably my biggest learning was on is in story development. I've always been a good storyteller and that helps, you know, that I've been a live theatre performer and have created shows before Um, but I think working on scripts and like really top scripts by writers you know like I I read a script by Sofia Coppola and I'm like I can't believe I'm reading this (laughs) I'm such a fan Um, and to actually see the the patterns and the banter of what they do and don't do, how much they write in, the rules that they break and the rules that they adhere to and how to create a better story for your intended audience is definitely the big gem that I've walked away with. Yeah, that's fantastic. So you've got 11 projects running at the moment and uh, that's within the Australian context but or are you now completely tapped into an international world? Um, I want to make Australian films and I um, really want to make films with my team in Melbourne. Um, I'm not being too Melbourne-centric. I I do have a project in Western Australia and I have another one in New South Wales. Um, I'm happy to make my business more national and global, but certainly uh, three of my projects are co-productions with America, um, whereby the story revolves around one or two Americans being in Australia. So it becomes a co-production that I would make in Australia. Um, And so definitely it's become global, but I still want to situate it and bring the work to Melbourne. And there is one project that fits in the $50, $60 million um, range, which is a live-action animation film, which I'm just trying really hard (laughs) for that to come to Australia. So... Uh, the producer is up for it and I can offer the 40% producer tax offset um, to help finance that film. And I think it's certainly 
a great benefit for all Australian producers to try and bring other projects into Australia to be made here um, to use the benefits that we have, which is our tax offset and support from our screen agencies and also incredibly talented uh, crew and actors here in Australia. And it actually benefits us that the dollar is kind of tanking too. So that really helps with bringing other projects into Australia. That means, of course, you're bringing international finance into Australia as well. So there's a lot of support for developing co-productions that uh, have a connection to the states here in Melbourne. Mm. So so your business, what, what's the name of your business? Finer Films. Finer Films. As in not crap. Yeah. <laughs> Finer Films, that's right. And so uh, my, I imagine it as a, you know, a core Sort of, there's probably an actual place, and there's you there, but it's not necessary, is it? it, it you can actually um, be uh, moving around, can't, don't you? Can't you? Uh, yes, I'm very mobile. It's uh, my laptop and I, and the um, Hobson's Bay City Libraries are very well connected. <laughs> um, but that's um, a function of where I'm at at the moment because I do need to go to LA to continue keeping my contacts warm. And so I'm a bit um, transient at the moment. So I'm trying to get all this work done in Australia, but I need to go to LA uh, and I usually stay for like three weeks or a month or so. Say hi to everyone, keep my contacts warm, because basically if you're out of sight, you're out of mind in LA. And to be fresh and in touch with everything that's going on, you really need to be there on a fairly regular basis. So, so would I be right in saying that in your business, it's your your talent at, um, at storytelling, but also your ability to network and to uh, keep all the plates running at the same time. <laughs> it's all, yeah, I think producing has always been a juggling act. Uh, you're always trying to help everyone in their individual areas, um, but with you are the keeper of you know the roof on the tent you know you literally have the bigger picture in mind the whole time so there is a lot of juggling going on um but i think uh that's why that that's what attracts me to this particular work i get very bored if i have to do one thing mm. all the time but also i mean it's very impressive because in fact we began our conversation with how you had uh, were uh, doing a professional attachment scheme through Film Victoria, but you actually worked it out yourself. You, you, you're so um, you're proactive. You, you don't wait. You go out there and do. Well, if there's one thing I know for sure, no one else is going to do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> What's your next? I mean, so you've got eleven on the go. Is there anything close? Um, yes, yes. I've got some pretty magical scripts which are just waiting for the next uh, financing round but aren't dependent on the financing round. Uh, and so basically it's a matter of just chipping away at all of those um, and uh, I'm unsure at the moment as to which one's going to crack first. First, yeah. yeah. I, I must say that since I've been doing Showreel, uh, there's been a whole range of great Australian films that have oh, yeah. been made. And I've become more and more impressed with the level of scripting and performance and also that more actors are actually taking the reins and making their own projects. Have you been noticing that? I would have to say there's definitely been a very conscious uh, push towards writer-driven work. I think the 
showrunner model, which um, has proven that uh, works. You know, the showrunner model, basically the showrunner is a writer who's also in charge of the purse strings, who gets usually, but doesn't always, create a TV show um, and will make sure that that show is not compromised by um, you know, executives and studio people and, and others who aren't storytellers, you know, whittling it down, um, which sometimes happens if you're making something within a network situation. Um, and so this, the showrunner method where there's one person in charge of all the directors and all of the, the team, that's highly successful. And so people are now going, wow, how does the showrunner thing work? Um, so people like Shane Brennan, who is an Australian working in LA, is incredibly successful, who's created the NCIS huge franchise. That's an example of a very mainstream, very successful showrunner model. Um, and so the Australian Writers Guild, which I'm a member of, uh, has been very strong about trying to create um, – opportunities for writers to develop their writing skills alongside with the obvious success of how writers are driving amazing TV uh, and film too, but mostly TV. Well, I I spoke to Tony Ayres. Tony Ayres does this. Yes, yes. Well, you know, smart people are driven to smart models that work and the showrunner model um, works. Yeah, because I asked him about that. I thought, oh, you like Blade Runner. <laughs> Amongst the androids, <laughs> yeah. But I also have to give kudos to the screen agencies for recognizing that um, you can't have great movies without great scripts, and they've really been putting a lot more effort into consulting and working with writers and creating new writers to come up and develop um, ideas with, uh, with, with I guess, stronger writing uh, skill and capacity support. Um, and so programs like Catalyst, for instance, are doing very, very well at, cre- at in- improving the general quality and skill of the scripts that are going through. That's true. Is there anything else that I haven't covered that you'd love to tell us about? <laughs> I can tell you that Hollywood is mad <laughs> and working in Hollywood is all-consuming and incredibly invigorating um, and, and rightfully crazy. Um, and I wouldn't have traded that experience for anything else in the world. You must have uh, felt a little bit, uh, one, it would have been fantastic because you're a woman of energy and talent. And then when you finished and came back, you must have felt a little bit underwhelmed. Uh, how, how do you keep your spirit up? Um, I don't think I, I felt that because I still feel very connected to everyone in LA. Um, I'm certainly addicted to the my podcasts and the news feeds and I, um, I'm a late night person so I generally watch for the 8, 9 a.m. Um, bulletins that come through. So I'm usually up at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning checking those out so that I don't miss out on, on what's happening. So I do feel very still quite connected to what's happening in L.A., um, and also I've come back going, right, now I've got to get all these projects up and I've got to do this and this and this and this. And, you know, so I felt totally invigorated about making those projects happen. I guess the thing I do miss is that in L.A. everyone works in film and television or for the um, JPL Science Space Centre. It's like you're in one of those two areas and all the people that work in those two areas love their job with absolute passion. And so... 
the writer and the concierge and um, your insurance guy and the guy that you hire a car from, everyone is working in film and television in LA. And it's really invigorating to be able to, to stand on any street corner and have an incredible conversation with depth of knowledge and exposure and expertise with the person standing, the stranger standing right next to you. And you never know who you're talking to or what room you're going to end up being in. Um, I have to say that my very first day that I worked there, um, some tickets came through for the Dodgers Stadium game. They said, who wants to go? And I, oh, me, me, I love baseball. <laughs> I've never been to a baseball match, but I think I love baseball. <laughs> and so my very first day at Lynn Pictures was working with all of the Lego team, all the directors and everyone's partners. There were 30 of us there. Turned out it be to be the box that the owner of the Phillies team owned. And so we were treated to all the catering and everything and we were right on the diamond. And I went, this is the most amazing first day ever. How am I going to beat this? My very last day working at Lim Pictures, I was sent with a friend to the um, Producers Guild, had a screening of Star Wars. And I'm like, oh, this is amazing. I've been waiting to see Star Wars. I'm going to see it before everyone else. And who walks out on the stage? Kathleen Kennedy, J.J. Abrams, Lawrence Kasdan. And it is a recorded Q&A afterwards. And then even after that, I thought, this is amazing. How can it get better? I'm standing outside and Steven Spielberg is standing right next to me. <laughs> and I'm like... Only in Hollywood. <laughs> oh, thank you for coming in. We've got to go now. That was just totally invigorating. Coming up next is uh, Published or Not, and uh, we say goodbye to Kat- Katrina Fleming. Thanks for having me. Yeah. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.